heathens. Hi, heathens. Welcome to the witchery podcast. Hey. Should we start well, that again? No, I love it. Leave it. <laughs> <laughs> That's just us all over. I don't think we need to apologize for that. Welcome to the witchery podcast. Welcome to the witchery podcast. It's been a week. It's Hasn't it always been a week? <laughs> It has always been a week. We do. It's been a week, guys. It's been a year. It's been a decade. It's been a century so far. I do not know about you guys, but I am fucking dunsies living in unprecedented times. I want to go back to stock standard normal precedent and times now. Thank you very much. Please and thank you. Me too. Me too. I would like to go to some really boring pastoral times where we all live in stone cabins and just tend to sheep and don't have to deal well then we wouldn't be able to do podcasts well we could we could just stand on rocks and shout the podcast at people no we We could could do do like fireside chats like tell stories around a fire and stuff yeah bring a bit of the bard culture in Yeah, yeah here's some horror i think we need this i think we need to go back to some more kind of kind of you know genteel delicate times where people weren't getting covid and murdering each other It'd be nice, wouldn't it? And shouting at each other on Twitter a lot. So on to this week's episode. It was a really tough decision. I think I changed my mind and flip-flopped probably about a million times within the past week. I eventually settled on. It was a tough decision. It was a tough decision. I I still want to cover my second choice, but this one I think was more more relevant. Um, Go for it. But yes. So this week we are taking a deep dive into The Conjuring 2. Because we can't get enough conjuring. We've had conjuring one. We've had conjuring our collab of, of three, The Devil Made Me Do It, with lovely Brooker Horror, lovely autopsy of a horror movie podcast with Brooker. But um, yeah, conjuring two. It's an awesome movie. And honestly, I don't know why it's taken me so long to want to do this one because I've had a morbid fascination with the story behind it since I was a kid. So. Yeah. You'd think it would have been like one of the first ones I covered, but no, no. <laughs> you love a bit of the Enfield haunting, don't you? I love that. I do. I do. I also love that it's not that far from where I used to live, really. <laughs> so you're obsessed with a story of near somewhere I used to live, kind of. I used to live somewhere called Northwood, guys, which is northwest London. And Enfield's like not a long drive away from there. It's like not massively far. This uh, 2016 Supernatural Horror is the sequel to The Conjuring, in case you didn't get it from the number two in the title. James Wan returned as the director, and the screenplay was penned by Chad Hayes, Carrie W. Hayes, James Wan, and David Leslie Johnson. The four writers? Rather... Sorry. Four writers. Yeah. Oh, wow. I four didn't realize that. That's... I always do laugh when it's like, it's like that quote from Notting Hill, you know, the Hugh Grant thing of, oh, it's got two writers or three writers. Like, why does it need more than <laughs> than two writers for this? Four, though, why not? Because it's a party. Because, you know, writing is like a party. I don't know. <laughs> it's just like, wow. How many wild goes times. does the script need? It's wild. I mean, they were just having a laugh with the whole, you know, the conjuring, throwing things around the room in Enfield. Why not? Exactly. Why not? Why the hell not? Mm. The rather yummy Patrick Wilson and the absolutely mm. stunning Vera Farmiga return as Ed and Lorraine Warren. Um, and the film grossed over $320 million worldwide, which I 
think we can safely say was quite positive. <laughs> quite that's a, a bit of a hit. <laughs> a little bit of a hit. <laughs> so let's uh, get into a brief synopsis of what the movie's about. So there are spoilers ahead. So pause here if you haven't watched it and come back. So I'll just give you a minute to do that. I would sing, but, you know, I can't sing, so. <laughs> you, I'm sure you're better than me. I'm sure your people would much rather listen to you than me. I'm tone deaf, so probably not. Um, I think people would pay me to shut up. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I would pay you to sing, I'm sure. I'm sure I would. Ah, you're, you're too kind. Okay, so welcome back or thanks for staying. I don't know, whichever one, but, you know, let's just get into this. So the film opens with the Warrens investigating the Amityville murders. So during a seance at the Amityville house, Lorraine sees the murders and encounters a demonic nun figure. So side note, I love how eerie and creepy the nun is in The Conjuring. Like It's it's so fucking frightening. It really is. She's horrifying. Um, like, she really could give you nightmares. <laughs> like... When she comes out of the painting, oh my god. It's really, and then when she turns around and she's standing, oh, I won't even get to that bit yet, but oh my god, she Whoa. actually makes me hurt my skin. But have you seen pictures of the actress? She's really gorgeous. I haven't. Yeah, she's um, really striking, like really lovely looking woman. So it's like, wow, wow, they did a good makeup job. They, they did. really did. But yeah, taking that into consideration, I can totally see why they thought a nun movie would be great. However, oh yeah. It was not. I, did, I didn't enjoy it. I got bored. I haven't finished it yet. So, I saw it in the cinema. So we couldn't, me and my friend Steve went to see it. I remember in, just down the road in Kingston. And I remember being really bored. Like we, we mm. luckily got loads of snacks so we could just chow down. But it was really, I just was like, oh my God, please can the Warrens turn up? I know they're not in it. Well, for a path, yes. like there's, a, there's a small part of them being in it. But I was just like, please, something, anything other than this. Lorraine sees Ed being impaled in her vision and then the story jumps ahead a little to 1977 and we change countries. We're in the UK now. Uh, we meet the Hodgson fa Hodgson's family um, and they start experiencing some seriously ghosty, spooky, freaky shit. After Janet, the second of four children, plays with a Ouija board. And I must say, like, rookie move, Janet, you always close off the Ouija board and say goodbye. See, I don't even touch a Ouija board because I don't even want to be saying hello, let alone goodbye. No, but no, no, exactly. no, 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 no. Ouija board, that's your thing. Stay away. Fine. Yeah, anything. I'm sorry, I'm fascinated by the occult and that stuff. I love it. I love reading and watching films about it. No way in a million years am I ever going to practice it. Sorry, guys. No. Dullsville here, terrified of something I don't even really believe in, <laughs> but I just scared <laughs> anyway. Just like, just in case, just to be safe. No, just in case, just in case. You never know. Yeah. No. Um, and we also get to meet one of your friends. So any Eagle Eye fans of The Conjuring 2 will have noticed a scene early on in the film where two of the girls from the Enfield haunting that happens later on are sitting on their school steps smoking and a teacher runs down the stairs, admonishes them and takes a cigarette. And as they disappear off, she starts smoking it. Well, that is my friend Kate Cook. Very wonderful actress and comedian and all round hilarious woman. I've done some shows with her in London. She's phenomenal. She's may only be in two minutes, but she's pretty bloody great. That's so cool. Super, super cool. I remember when she was filming it, though, she did. I don't think she really kind of 
Well, she might have known what it was, but she didn't really sort of make a thing out of it. So I just knew she was filming, didn't know what it was until suddenly I watched the film and went, Kate, what the hell are you doing in this film? I watched it. And that's when she suddenly turned up and I, I messaged her going, what? She was like, yeah, that was the film I was doing when we were doing the play. What? Uh, why did you not say come to me? I could have met Patrick Wilson. Come on. You could have given me the chance to meet. Well, I don't think he was actually around when she was filming, but I could have, could have got some Patrick Wilson real life perving on. <laughs> the dream. Yeah, the she ruined dream. it. Could have ruined it for me. <laughs> why didn't you tell me? Anyway, that that's my little my friend who's in uh, the Conjuring too. That's my little story. There you go, guys. Well, hey, podcast over. I think <laughs> that's it. A job done. That's the horror. Done. Well, they're not horror. The story behind the horror today. <laughs> what, Kate, we're not saying you're a horror at all in any way, shape, or form. After that, uh, Janet starts sleepwalking, um, and she starts seeing this cantankerous, grumpy old man who says that the house is his. The family starts to experience even more spooky shits, and um, we see them nope the fuck out, run across the road, and stare at the neighbors. Which I kind of like. Seriously, don't blame them. You shit starts flying across the room and stuff i'm i'm fucking out you get the hell out of there you scream you get all the neighbors up just to witness what you've seen so you know you're not going bonkers exactly exactly janet starts to show show signs of demonic possession and the warrens are asked to fly in and evaluate the case before they fly in though lorraine has another vision and sees the nun again this is the like when the nun comes out the wall which is seriously freaky oh that's an amazing scene though it's so good is it a painting is it a nun what's going on and she just steps through the fucking wall that just <laughs> freaked me the fuck out anyway the demon tells lorraine its name and uh this this little detail becomes important later the warrens stay at the hodgson house and they get the opinion of the authenticity of the events from two other paranormal investigators maurice gross and anita gregory so gregory has evidence that janet actually wrecked the kitchen on purpose which discredits the entire haunting based on this the warrens decide that they're going to leave because they think the the family is lying for fame however they discover that the spirit of wilkins who is the old man possessing well the old man haunting the house um, is only a pawn being manipulated by the true demon, which is the nun. Um, and this nun demon spirit thing is seeking to break da- Janet's will. Lorraine realizes this, and she realizes that her abilities have been blocked by the nun, which prevented her from grasping the truth of Janet's possession. Ed and Lorraine go back to the Hodgson's residence. They see that Janet is fully possessed, and everyone else is locked outside. Ed goes inside. Janet's at the window, ready to commit suicide. He manages to grab Janet in time, but is close to falling. Ooh, that's a good scene. That's a very good scene. It's really, really scary. Then the lightning t- strikes the tree in the yard and turning it into a stump that uh, Lorraine he- saw in her vision, the same one that impaled Ed. So Lorraine remembers that she knows what the demon's name is. It's Valak. And she addresses the demon by its name and condemns it back to hell. Janet is then freed of its possession and Lorraine pulls her and Ed to safety. The Warrens return home and they add the crooked man little toy into their museum of creepy shit. Which I still want to go to, by the way, and I'm seriously gutted that it's closed. I can't believe it's closed. 
who would close that? It was left in the hands of the Warren's daughter and, and her husband, and they fucking closed it. Terribly sad. How dare anyway, they? so I have some facts from the film. Go for it. I hope there are lots of Patrick Wilson facts to keep me entertained. Is that a no? <laughs> <laughs> I'm skimming through my notes. I'm not like this. And Patrick Wilson does not jump out. I'm sorry. Damn. But there's lots of spooky shit to keep you entertained. There we go. That's all I need. Bit of horror. <laughs> so a priest was brought in to bless the set on the first day of shooting. <laughs> Probably the best plan. Cool. Very good plan. Definitely. Definitely. Um, the original evil creature, demon thing, was demon actually thing. a... <laughs> the, the demon thing, the, the what's it. The demon, the demon evil what's, what's it. it. Yeah, the demon what's it was actually a dark demon with horns. James Wan wanted to expand the story a bit and add an element where Lorraine is questioning her faith. So they redesigned the demon what's it um, as a nun. So... All the scenes with the nun were added during reshoots, but you can see the original Demon Watsit monster design when it's defeated at the end. Oh, that's really cool. I didn't know about that. I assumed the nun was a fixture from from day one. So did I, but it it works out and it just adds that creep element and it works so well. Oh, I love the fact she's a nun. Way better. Way better choice, James Wan. Way better. And the whole questioning faith thing that comes through quite strongly. I oh, very much so. You also see the name of the demon way before that climatic scene at the end. Um, it actually, his, it's the demon Watsit's, I think demon Watsit works better than the actual name, to be honest. Um, demon Watsit's name actually appears five times at the Warren's home. So the first time is when, um, you know, when Ed is busy painting and he shows Lorraine the painting of the nun. Mm-hmm. that scene um its name is actually in colorful bangles that are hanging from the window no um, really mm-hmm. then behind lorraine there there's the word love the v pops out from the word love and the rest of the name is actually spelt in wooden letters and then when lorraine has her vision when she has a wee little nap on the couch and has that vision that she sees the nun um, their daughter's busy playing making bracelets. All three bracelets have the word have the name Valak on them. And um you'll you also see Valak spelt out on the bookcase in large letter ornaments behind Lorraine. That is very so cool. cool. I haven't noticed that before. Very, I've seen it a few times now, that film. Yeah. I noticed the I noticed the bracelets. Because I was like, oh, what well the done. fuck is Valak? <laughs> I think if Patrick Wilson's around, I'm mainly just paying attention to where is he? Is he there? If he's not on screen, I'm waiting for him. So, so this probably is my main distraction. So probably why I didn't notice Valak. Valak, whatever it is. That's cool though. I like that. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, then in a screening in India, a 65-year-old man started complaining of chest pains um, and fainted at the climax of the film. He was rushed to the hospital but was declared dead on arrival. <gasps> oh, that's terrible. Oh, bloody hell. Oh, God, that's not good. Poor guy. Yeah, it's quite quite harsh, actually. Well, that is the last thing you see is, is, is a defeat of Alec <laughs> on screen. Oh, the poor man. That's awful. It's scary, but it's not heart attack-inducing scary, though. Well, he's probably already... He probably already had an underlying heart condition, and I think anything, even minor things, could could send you over the edge. Good point. A cinema about to have a showing of the film had a poster that said, Warning, the film you're about to see is psychologically and emotionally disturbing. 
People who have attended early screenings of the film have complained about the many unusual circumstances that they've experienced after seeing the film. And to support this theory, it, they added, due to our concern for your well-being, we have invited Father Perez to be here. He will be available after the film to provide spiritual support and or conduct personal blessings should you feel the need. Please do not hesitate to seek help. Ask a representative where you can sign up for a session with our priest. That is crackers. <laughs> I had no, that's bonkers. Which cinema was that? I couldn't find it. So I'm not sure how true it is. It's just oh, a good story either way. It doesn't matter. It's great. I wouldn't be surprised. I imagine there are some places that, that would do that, even if it's just for the benefit of the film to get bums on seats. That is quite a good, exactly. good plan. Fantastic marketing. Yeah. I'm sure that there's someone who's going to be upset by, you know, me equating um, having a priest there to marketing and marketing gimmick. But anyway, moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, the last fact, the film is based on one of the Warrens' case files. Oh, there are many case files. My word, did that couple have a lot of cases. What, like over 2,000? And how many of them were real? Just saying. Just saying. How many of them were real? How many actually happened? All of them. Oh, yeah. Mm, well, it's or fun not. to think about. We don't if know. It, if it was the Vera Farmega, Patrick Wilson couple that we see and love from The Conjuring, I'd be like, I believe everything. The real Warrens? Not, not so, so sure. much. Not so especially, much. Especially when we get more into this. So this um, is based on the Enfield poltergeist, in case you didn't know. Um, and a small little caveat, while researching this film, I actually came across like a lot of sources that said the Warrens weren't as involved in the investigations as the movie makes it out to be. They really weren't. Just an FYI, there's a UK production. It was on Sky in the UK of the Enfield haunting, which had more of the authentic storyline. And it's yeah, they didn't feature. No, and it's one of the um, one of the, the the learn from the best things that we'll link to um, in the show notes as well. So let's get into the Enfield poltergeist and what actually happened. So things all started in Enfield in London in 1977. Peggy Hodgson, 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 was a single mom. Hodgson, Hodgson. I don't know. Peggy, Peggy. <laughs> Peggy, Peggy. <laughs> Peggy is a single mom to four kids, and she hears loud noises one night coming from her daughter's room. She goes into their room to tell them to cut it out, to quieten down, and to go to sleep. Um, but instead of the expected roughhousing and scenes of chaos, uh, she sees her girls huddled in a corner, absolutely fucking terrified. It should be noted that both girls have stated that this haunting stuff started soon after they played with a Ouija board, just like the film. Yeah, don't touch those kids. No, don't Leave touch them, them. So the girl said that their chest of drawers was moving towards the bedroom door. Peggy didn't believe them until she saw the drawers moving towards the door herself. She tried to move them, but she couldn't. The entire family was terrified, and they do what any sensible family experiencing spooky shit should do. They nope the fuck out and run across the street to their neighbors, Vic and Peggy Nottingham. Another Peggy, Vic, what? Just lots of Peggy's around. Peggy. It seems to be quite a popular name in London in the 70s. Well, it was my grand's nickname, actually. So, yeah, would have been. Wow. She was, yeah, well, she was Irish. But, yeah, that was my grand's nickname. Margaret that's, reduced to Peggy. That's quite cool. I like, I love the name Margaret. It's so pretty. 
Mm, it's my mum's name too. My gran named my mum after herself. What are you going to do about that, eh? Honestly. <laughs> <laughs> Two Margarets. Ridiculous stuff. But there we go. Peggy. There's a Peggy and a Margaret. So that, that made it a bit easier. Anyway, so Vic goes back to the house to investigate. Um, and he heard strange noises coming from around the home. The Hodgson's, the Hodgson's called the police. And even though one officer claimed to have seen a chair move clear across the room, they decided it wasn't, in fact, a police matter. What? So, yeah, like like in oh, the film where yeah. they say, well, you know, this isn't actually a police matter, kind of a similar thing. In one of the links that I will put in the show notes, there's actually the interview with those two officers who responded. And you can oh. actually hear what they, how they describe it, which is quite cool. Nice. According to the family, that was just the beginning of what would become their nearly 18-month haunting. Um, at one stage, Peggy decides to call the Daily Mirror, as you do, to come and investigate and <laughs> all the supernatural shit going down. That's a completely, no in the UK, a totally normal response. Anything weird happens, anyone offends you, whatever, you call the Mirror or the Mail. Just do it. <laughs> Get a tabloid in. Make some, make some moolah out of it. Why not? Why the hell not? Bloody Ghosties. Hell. Ghosties have decided to move in and they're not paying rent. You need to get that moolah somehow. Yeah. And you, I need to feed these goats. God damn it. They're eating me out of house and home. <laughs> it's just, it's, oh, it, this is why this, I know people need to make money, but this is what sets suspicion. Mm. This is what, what breeds suspicion when you effectively monetize your horror. <laughs> like monetizing my horror here. Well, I suppose, you know, make exactly. dollar. Why not? I suppose, why not? But you know, don't expect people to believe you if you do that. Well, single mom to four kids who she has to feed. She, why the hell not? Good point. Good point. Good point. Particularly I'm in London in the 70s. Not condoning anything. Not saying that you should monetize your hauntings and your horror. But I, I can understand. Well, also London in the 70s. UK in the 70s um, was screwed for the most part because of the you know different government issues. You had strikes, you had power cuts, all sorts of things going on and interest rates skyrocketing. So you'd end up your weekly wage wouldn't buy you a loaf of bread. It would go from your weekly wage paying your rent and your food bills and, and you know, treats here and there to it not even buying you a loaf of bread after decimalization. Everything went screwy. So I do understand the 70s weren't they actually weren't a very easy time in the UK. You can judge people like that, but at the same time, it doesn't help because you need to understand where they're coming from as well. I mean, desperate yeah. times. Desperate times, desperate measures. Yeah. Sell, sell your kids' horror to the Daily Mirror. <laughs> <laughs> so the tabloid sent a photographer, Graham Morris, to the house to capture the hauntings. When Morris was there, as you expect, the house sat silent for hours. As the reporter was about to leave, shit started happening. So yeah, so the photographer came back, um, came back inside and a Lego brick hit, hit him in the eye. Apparently this Lego brick just kind of like zoomed across the lounge and there were marbles buzzing about and it was just, you know, typical haunting spooky shits. The Enfield case might be one of the best documented apparent paranormal cases in history thanks to Morris's disturbing pictures of, of his visit to the house. The Daily Mirror called the Society for Physical Research, the SPR, and they sent Gross to investigate. And Gross said that he witnessed more than 2,000 different incidents of supernatural activity at the house. And I have a quote of some of the spooky shits um, that happened. This is from Janet. And this is 
um, from an interview she had with ITV. She said, yeah. furniture turning over, cups filled with water, fires igniting, voices, levitation. The most frightening encounter was when a curtain wrapped itself around my neck next to my bed. Wow. So it sounds very, very scary. If that's, you know, if that happens, that's terrifying. Move the fuck up. But then I suppose, like, that's a council house. They that don't really wouldn't have... have been easy to get rehoused. Yeah. I, I doubt in London, particularly being so densely populated, it, it's difficult enough for people to get rehoused. Then, with all of the financial issues and everything, no, I don't think it would have been. No, it would I have don't been think really, so. really impossible, probably. Yeah, but spooky shit is not the only thing that happened. The entity scaring the living bejesus out of the family on a semi semi reg basis was not content with just the the standard poltergeist fare of moving stuff around. It actually started communicating through Janet. The young girl, because, you know, throwing Lego bricks at photographers is not nearly as entertaining as speaking through a little girl. Oh, that's just basic level stuff. You need to yeah. get onto your, onto your possession. Definitely. You know, base, that's, a, that's a basic bitch ghost just throwing shit around. Get, get onto the demon possession. Exactly. The young girl would often go into a trance-like state where she would speak in a deep, scratchy voice, claiming to be the ghost of a man named Bill Wilkins, um, who had died in the house years before. And it was actually later proven that a man by that name was once a resident of the home and did in fact die of a hemorrhage while sitting in the living room. Oh, that was so Bill. Bill was a real man. Bill was Bill a real really, man. And that really he happened. did that. That really happened. The ghost would reportedly talk through Janet for hours at a time. There were actually videos, there are videos of some of these encounters. Um, and you can apparently hear the voice of Bill Wilkins talking through Janet. Yeah, I've heard a couple of them through different programs and things on over here. Yeah, I've heard a, a few of the, the audio clips. They're interesting because they sound like a little girl, but at the same time, they don't. Yeah, the speech patterns and the diction, definitely like a little girl. The voice, definitely not like a little girl, but we'll get into that in a bit as well. Mm. Throughout the 18-month period, a number of additional paranormal researchers also visited the house, including demonologists Ed and Lorraine Warren. The film takes massive liberties with the time that the Warrens spent at the house, and the Warrens had actually publicly stated that they were convinced the supernatural was responsible for the strange happenings in the house, like in, in real life. Okay. Um, I've, got, I've got a quote from Ed. He said... For the reliable Ed Warren. Of course. Those who deal with the supernatural day in and day out know the phenomena are there. There's no doubt about it, Ed said. And this is according to Fangoria. Okay. So well, yeah. the... Okay, yeah, I can believe that. I, I definitely believe... I can believe there's something out there. Um, yeah. What it is, who knows? Who knows? I'm going with the, just because science can't explain it yet doesn't mean it's not science or yeah. explainable by science. Well, it's that thing, isn't it? It's the same thing that happened in, in Hiroshima. I believe it was in Hiroshima rather than Chernobyl. Of Yeah, it was Hiroshima. When the atomic bomb went off, people's shadows were effectively stuck to the wall. They were taken like photographs against the wall. So that's what you know, an atomic energy could do. It's like people, they were recorded. So you don't yeah. know if basically there's a spirits ghosts that are seen. It's something to do with kinetic energy, you know, atoms, whatever, that are playing in a loop, like a recording. Could all be like a constant recording. That's what it could be. Exactly. Like We don't know. There's a whole bunch of theories that like energy gets left behind in places and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've been to places 
where as soon as you've walked in, you, the energy has just felt off and you've just felt, ah, uh -uh, this, is, this is not a cool place to be. Um, well, the house I grew up next door to, definitely. So it used to be a doctor's, it was a house, but it was a doctor's surgery as well. The doctor lived there with his family. And this is like decades before me and my family moved there. This was like the 1930s, I think. The family there, no, it might have been the 40s. Um, the girl very sadly committed suicide and she committed suicide on the landing in the house. And years later, when our neighbours moved in, before just before we moved in, they kept seeing a young girl on the landing. And one day when I was little and I was on the swing in my garden looking up at the house, I saw a young girl looking down at me. I definitely did. I'm not even, because I didn't know about the ghost story at the time. And it was only when I ran in and told my mum and she told the neighbours, they kind of went, oh yeah, that's our ghost. Not freaky at all. No, and the weird thing is that house, I've moved out, moved out several obviously several years ago now um my it turned into a nursery that house and my one of my best friends now works in that nursery and there's constant activity in there so I can agree there is something like the, the kids are always claiming they see things toys you know electrical toys switch on automatically all weird stuff happens and there's still spooky like um sightings on that landing and it's just very strange so there's definitely something there's something yeah. in that house. What it is exactly, I don't know. Spooky shirts. Yeah. How scary. So where was I? Okay. So the Society for Physical Research, sent Gross at Maurice Gross, that is, and Guy Leon Playfair to investigate. They reported curious whistling and barking noises coming from Janet's general direction. Playfair maintained that the house, that the haunting was genuine and wrote a book. And the book was called um, This House is Haunted, The True Story of a Poltergeist, and that an entity was to blame for the infield disturbances. However, he did wonder if the children were being completely honest. But Gross and Playfair did believe that some of the alleged poltergeist activity was faked by the girls, um, but other incidents were actually quite genuine. Um, Janice was caught out, though. So they put a video camera in the room next door, and they caught her trying to bend spoons and attempting to bend an iron bar. Gross observed Janet um, banging a broom handle on the ceiling and he, um, she also hit his tape recorder. Um, according to Playfair, one of Janet's voices she called Bull displayed a habit of suddenly changing topic and it was a habit that Janet also had. So Janet and Margaret admitted to pranking the journalists apparently. Gross and Playfair um, compiled the girls to retract their confession, though, um, and they were mocked by other researchers for being so easily duped. Renee Haynes noted doubts about the alleged poltergeist voice at the Second International Society for Physical Research conference at Cambridge in 1978. Video cassettes were examined there, and investigators Anita Gregory um, also stated that the Enfield case, case had been um, overrated. Characterizing several episodes of the girls' behavior as suspicious and speculated that the girls had staged some of the incidents. Other investigators su suggested that the girls, um, especially Janet, was pra were practicing um, ventriloquism. And yeah, the, con the official conclusion was that it was all a hoax. Mm. Janet actually admitted that her and her siblings had fabricated a few of the events. Apparently, she said, um, another quote, and this is according to the Daily Mirror, oh yeah, once or twice we faked it just to see if Mr. Gross and Mr. Playfair would catch us. They always did. They kind of do she that in The Conjuring too, though, don't they? Yeah. So um, she, she does, she sort of says that she felt she had to do that 
Yeah. But she apparently later said that only 2% of the events in the house were faked. Yeah. Okay. A magician by the name of Milbourne Christopher um, went to the house as well. And he said that the um, all the activity was the work of a little girl who wanted to cause trouble and who was very, very clever. Ray Allen, a ventriloquist, said Je Janet was playing tricks with Bill's voice because she enjoyed the attention. And then in 2015, Janet told the da Daily Mail that things began to quiet down in the fall of 1978 when a priest visited the house. The next family that moved in reported strange incidents too, including hearing voices downstairs and encountering a man walking into rooms. Oh, wow. Um, they only lived in the house for two months, according to the Daily Mail. But I do have, like, like apparently Janet's mom lived in there for a very long time, old good old Peggy. So skeptics have basically said that the poltergeist voice that came from Janet's was produced by false vocal cords above the larynx and had the phrase and had the phraseology and vocabulary of a child. In, a, in an interview for BBC Scotland, Janet was observed to gain attention by waving her hand and then putting her hand in front of her mouth while claimed disembodied voice was heard. And this was, this was quite funny. I, like, I watched this clip and you can like, I don't know, I think they did it for attention. Because during the interview, both girls were asked, how does it feel to be haunted by a poltergeist? And Janet replies, it's not haunted. And Margaret goes, shut up. Mm. See, there's over here in the UK, they've they've been quite, you know, there's been quite a lot of of stories that, you know, documentaries and shows and things about it, because obviously it being a, a British ghost story. And yeah, it's it's suspect. It's so suspect. So what about <laughs> Bill talking through Janet? In an interview with Janet around about the time the the time, um, you actually kind of get the idea that talking in the possessed voice may have been encouraged and planted in Janet's mind by Maurice Grass. Um, oh. When asked, yeah, when asked when the voices started, Janet said that one night Maurice Grass told them, all we need now is the voices to talk. Almost immediately following the suggestion, they did. The voices had mainly growled, barked, and made some of the noises prior to this. Maurice was a very sharp man, though very sharp mm -hmm. paranormal investigator so he he probably that was probably his his um his gauge of testing whether or not they were responding to his influence and they were so he probably was like yeah no so when asked about her time in the in the haunted house janet said i really don't like to think about it too much this was a couple of years later by the way mm -hmm. um i'm not sure the poltergeist was truly evil it was almost as if it wanted to be a part of our family. It didn't want to hurt us. It had died there and wanted to be at rest. The only way it could communicate was through me and my sister. And throwing um, things and her across and the room. Her. He yep. didn't sound like the happiest of ghosts. I don't think he just wanted to be part of a family. No. If he did, he was, a, he was a bit of a toxic, toxic male in that household. He wanted them out. Yeah, he was not a nice guy from the sound. Well, the ghost. He might have been a nice guy as a man, but he wasn't a nice guy as a ghost. Cantankerous. Yeah. Comes to mind. Speaking of which, was Bill Wilkins real? As mentioned earlier, he was. Um, Bill Wilkins' son actually confirmed that he had died in a manner similar to what Janet described when she was possessed. Wilkins passed away in an armchair downstairs, suffering a brain hemorrhage. So, Poor guy. That is quite tragic and quite sad. When did it all end? Um, apparently in 1978, when the priest visited the house, Peggy 
continued to live in the house until she passed away in 2003 um, and apparently continued to hear noises every now and then. There are people who currently live in the house and they say it's definitely not haunted now. I personally kind of want to know if it was ever actually haunted, to be honest. Same, same. You kind of need to talk to Morris and to Guy because mm. they would have been the authorities on that. They were really interesting, two men as well, really interesting men. Morris particularly, really interesting guy. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a, a fascinating case and it's always fascinated me since I was a kid. Mm. But you look at those photos of Janet apparently levitating and it looks like she's jumping. Oh, it does. It, do, it doesn't look like she, she's not flat in the air as you picture when someone's levitating. It looks like she's just jumping off her bed, like leapfrogging, it looks like. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, that's that's it. That's the end of the Enfield Poltergeist. Thank you very much, Jess. That was I love that um story. I do love the Enfield Enfield haunting. It's really really good. Really um because it's it's so ambiguous and there's so much skepticism and cynicism about it. But I think that a bit like the well Amityville was pretty much proven to be a hoax. This one is still on the periphery, but I think we kind we kind of know, don't we? Yeah, not disputing that something didn't happen because you th there's too many people involved for it to be a complete hoax. Like the neighbors, the the police, the paranormal investigators. Like there's just far too many people who claim to have had some sort of experience. Is it all mass hallucination? Maybe, but it's just it's weird. The if like I don't know the poltergeist activity and. Janet being possessed and all of that. Yeah, I'm not sure if I buy that much. No, I mean, I suppose the people involved, like that uh, Morris Gross was very, very much a very respected paranormal investigator, even though he sort of came across it in, in a way that he wasn't as highly educated as some of the other people like Guy Playfair and people like that. But um, he, he had his own personal experience because of his daughter's death and his family's experiences. And I think that lends to him genuinely wanting it to be true so i think because of his background and the background of, of of where he's come from emotionally as well as his interests he wouldn't have been that skeptical mm. if he if he'd really believed something was was going on there yeah it's a it's a it's we never know no one ever will ever it, it, you can never really prove it it's all hearsay exactly still makes for a very good story very good story and i loved the movie oh it's amazing it's a brilliant movie but i like i like poltergeist and house haunting movies so that's you know they're always good though they're always good they always, yeah. if they're well done they're just really really and they they slap they slap they do um they do. the conjuring too but anything lorraine and ed warren motivated is always brilliant i do love the cinematic warrens I really do. I do. But as we discussed on on Lovely Autopsy of a Horror Movie with, with Brooker, well, we did a collab with him, guys. Check it out. Very good one on The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It. No? Yeah, The Devil Made Me Do It. That's yeah. what it's called, isn't it? Bloody hell. My brain. It's only been at, been out a month and I can't even remember what it's called. It shows <laughs> what, what my brain's like. But um, yeah, a lot of backstory about the Warrens and um, yeah, they're, they're not being particularly um, trustworthy. I think no, they're a very, no, it, very interesting couple, but there's so much dark stuff to delve yeah. through there. 
I didn't go into too much detail about the warrants and um, give too much of a background on them. If you do want more details on them, we do um, cover them quite nicely in one of our previous episodes um, where we took a deep dive into the first Conjuring movie. So check our back catalogue and give us a listen again, I think. Definitely. <laughs> Double listens, come on. Listen to everything because listen to each of the episodes <laughs> 10 times. Come on. So yeah, so that was the Enfield Poltergeist. Well done, Jess. That was great. Lovely stuff. I love a bit of Enfield, Enfield haunting. It was fun. Um... Mm. In our Learn from the Bear segment, watch the Enfield Poltergeist. Um, it's a nice, um, it's the BBC interview with the Hodgson's family and it's actually got the um, some of the, the recordings of Janet's talking in Bill's voice. There's also the Enfield Poltergeist docky on BTWN Paranormal. And uh, read This House is Haunted, the story of the Enfield Poltergeist by Guy Playfield. <laughs> The Obscure Film Club. This week's picks are all poltergeisty haunted house um, films. The first one is Livid from 2011. The suggestion of big, a big treasure hidden somewhere inside Mrs. Jessel's once renowned classical dance academy. academy. Um, it becomes an irresistible lure to a fiendish trap for Lucy and her friends. And we've got The Changeling from 1980. After the death of his wife and daughter in a car crash, a music professor staying at an old mansion is dragged into a decades-old mystery by an inexplicable presence in the mansion's attic. We've got The Pact from 2012. As a woman struggles to come to grips with her past in the wake of her mother's death and the disappearance of her sister, an unsettling presence emerges in her childhood home. And then, of course, we've got Juwan, The Grudge, the original Japanese version. Um, a mysterious and vengeful spirit marks and pursues anybody who dares enter the house in which it resides. Love the selection. Some of those I haven't seen, so I'm going to check those out. Um, I haven't watched Livid yet. It looks great. No, I haven't either. I haven't watched The Pact either. It's interesting. It's good. Well, I like spooky house stuff, so I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that type of thing. <laughs> I've watched all the others, but I haven't watched those two, so I'm going to get on that ASAP. Yay. Well done, Jess. Thank you so much for taking us through all of the, the hauntings of Enfield. Thank you so much for listening. Um, it was fun to research. It's a good movie. Not as good as the first one. The first one's still my favourite. Oh, yeah. The first one's the best. I do like number two, though. It works. Yeah, it does. It does. The Nun is is an interesting, scary element that they've added to it. I, I quite like that. One prob The only problem I really have with the film, and this is no... Um, insult to the actual acting it's more the accents are uh, the estuary slash fake estuary slash cockney accents going on from british actors which throws me <laughs> so much I'm like, you're british like wh why don't you just just try and drop a few vowels here and there rather than go full-on like dick van dyke has gone up the river up the thames like it's very strange very strange <laughs> and they're good actors as well like I mean, some of them are really good actors I've seen in other things. And you sort of go, what have you done? <laughs> what are you doing? That's quite funny. That's too yeah. funny. 
<laughs> but yeah, just just the accents. I'm sure anyone British or with close British relatives or friends, etc., watching The Conjuring too, as much as we love it, there are moments, aren't there? There are moments of you going, "What? <laughs> Why are you yeah. talking like that?" Particularly from from the young girls, I must say, and the mother, the mother particularly. She's a great actress as well. Not slating her, seen her in lots of other stuff, and she's great. But the, yeah, the accent, oh. Ooh. But it's still a great movie. I still enjoy it. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't detract from the brilliance of it. And anything fictional, Lorraine and Ed, I'm there. Agreed. I like I like that version of Ed and Lorraine. Same. The real ones, not so much. Yeah, the real ones. Mm, quite. There's a there's, there's a very good Hollywood. I think it's a Hollywood Reporter article out there, guys. Check that one out about the the true Lorraine and Ed Warren. Pretty sure it's the Hollywood Reporter. We talk about it in the the podcast with Brooker. If you have a listen to that mm. one. And if you haven't listened to it, definitely go give it a listen. But yes, that's that's us. So um, have a good week and good night, heathens. Good night, heathens. <laughs>